Hi, I'm Dr. Whitney Hauser with Dry Eye Coach Podcast. You know, the spectrum of dry eye disease includes many diagnostics and treatments that are either patient pay or out-of-pocket expenses or are associated with relatively small reimbursements. Today, we're going to chat with Mike Berg, who is the Vice President of Regulatory and Reimbursement at TierLab, about how evidence-based medicine is valued in understanding clinical value versus reimbursement. Mike, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Real good, Whitney. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, we really appreciate it. This is something that I know a lot of both, you know, doctors as well as, you know, practice managers want to wrap their mind around, you know, how we can treat our patients, but also the value of reimbursement and what that brings to us. So I'm going to dive right in and kind of ask some questions and we'll get the conversation started. So the clinician really should always lead the clinical value of performing a test or a treatment as best the course of action is for the patient. So when thinking about the clinical value of a diagnostic in eye care, where does the reimbursement, reimbursement conversation enter in? Yeah, that's a great question. And obviously, clinical value is always first and foremost. But it's important to remember that tests like the tear osmolarity test is a laboratory test. So reimbursement comes, comes under laboratory rules. Uh, in all specialties except for eye care, laboratories are really standard of care. And interestingly enough, laboratory tests impact about 70% of all medical decisions. In fact, most physicians wouldn't even make a diagnosis until they have the laboratory test in hand. Uh, you may have experienced this yourself when you go to your own um, annual physical or bring your children to the pediatrician, and you're all done, and they say, well, doctor, how am I? And they say, well, I, I won't know. I'll have to let you know after I get the laboratory test back. Um, however, in most specialties, and in fact, all specialties except eye care, the test samples sent out to an outside lab for analysis. So the cost and reimbursement to perform the laboratory test doesn't really impact the physician who needs the data and is ordering the test, except in the cases of testing for tear fluid, uh, which can't be sent out to an outside lab for evaluation because the sample size is so small. So eye care practitioners have to expend the time, resources, and the cost to perform the test themselves, and they have to do this as a CLIA certified laboratory. So the doctor being paid as a laboratory isn't being paid as a physician. So they're actually being paid on a completely different fee schedule, which is the laboratory fee schedule. And therefore, the billing rules and documentation for uh, lab tests are completely different than what the eye care physician and their staff are used to. So the staff needs to be trained not only on the clinical value, but also how to build these tests properly. Therefore, the clinical value must always be weighed against the resources necessary to perform the test, you know, in the doctor's office. You know, Mike, if I could have you follow me around when I lecture about point-of-care diagnostics and say all of that right after I finish, that would be a huge help to me. <laughs> that would be a huge weight <laughs> okay. off my shoulders. Well, and, and we'll just have to compare is, schedules. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We'll, we'll book flights together. Well, the reason I say that, and I say it a little in tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. You know, a lot of my colleagues are, are, you know, conditioned to say, well, what's, what's my reimbursement for that? And there's a reason for that. I don't dismiss that. But as you mentioned, you know, my pediatrician, my kid's pediatrician doesn't do a CBC 
to to get uh, a reimbursement for that. And, and they're doing that in office, not unlike we do. So I, it's really the information that leads to the proper diagnosis. The proper diagnosis leads to the, the proper treatment of the patient, the annuity of that patient, and perhaps moving that patient, particularly in the dry eye realm, into some more advanced treatment. So I could not agree more with what you said. You just said it so much more eloquently than, than I ever do. So very well stated. So, Thank you know, you. As, we, as we move on, when it comes to dry eye disease, we've gone a long way towards streamlining and to simplifying, you know, the algorithm for eye care specialists. The most recent addition from the ASCRS, uh, pardon me, Cornea Clinical Committee has organized these essential tests as part of the approach. Now, in this context, Tier Lab is at the front line. So how is it currently reimbursed? And, and aside from ASCRS, Tier Lab is really a part of many of these algor algorithms, PFOS, DUS2, and so forth. So, so how, do you, how do you do the reimbursement for, for the Tier Lab testing? Yeah, that, that's very good, um, and especially the new ASCRS algorithms for um, <clears throat> identifying patients pre-surgically um, for surgery. Uh, their laboratory tests are in the forefront, uh, and there's actually two, two laboratory tests. It's the tear osmolarity test and the MMP9 test for inflammation, which are right at the very first part of the algorithm. Um, and as I indicated uh, earlier, the, these laboratory tests, they're, they're being reimbursed as lab tests, so they fall under coverage rules by third-party payers as laboratory tests. Now, I'll speak specifically to the tear osmolarity test because that's the test that I'm most familiar with. And the tear osmolarity test uh, is universally covered uh, in all 50 states by all payers except in Florida where there is a, a local coverage determination for CMS, but it's still covered. So not having any local coverage or national coverage determinations which dictate how to use the test, it diverts to medical necessity. And medical necessity rules are usually determined by clinical guidelines, such as the ones you just mentioned, um, in addition to the uh, physician's medical opinion. And this medical opinion and the guidelines need to be properly documented in the patient chart. And if it's documented properly, that will then justify medical necessity and then lead to proper payment and coverage. However, documenting a laboratory test is a little bit different than documenting normal um, procedures and services. And the, most of our customers, if not all of them, really need to be trained on proper documentation. But it's very simple. Proper documentation for a laboratory test includes four things. The first is that a sign or symptom of disease must be present, and it needs to be present on the day that the patient visits. That's pr usually pretty well understood by, by all our customers, and it's pretty standard. But secondly, the test must, must be ordered. And this is where a lot of times it's, it's somewhat confusing because in a doctor's office, the laboratory test is ordered verbally. Um, the doctor's not writing an order that sends out to an outside lab uh, for a test. He's just ordering it verbally. And for laboratory tests, the rules are that verbal tests are acceptable. Uh, that's fine. However, and the however is a big one, the intent of the doctor to have ordered the test must be in the chart. So even though the doctor doesn't have to have a formal written order for the test, it can be verbal, 
somewhere in the chart has to be indicated that this test was ordered. And a lot of the times the doctors don't realize that and fail to indicate that in the chart. The third thing the doctor almost always does, at least part of it, and that is he indicates if the test results, right? So the test results go in the chart, but what sometimes they fail to do is indicate whether those test results are normal or abnormal. So just putting the test results in the chart isn't sufficient. He has to indicate if those test results indicate a normal or abnormal situation. And the final is what is mostly, most often not done, and that is the, uh, the osmolary test results or any lab test results that are performed that day for that patient have to appear in the patient management plan at the end of the visit, even if the test is normal. So even if the test is normal and it doesn't impact the, uh, the disease state that the doctor finally diagnoses, that has to be in the patient management plan. If it's not in the plan, the payers assume that you didn't or use the test to manage the patient, and if you didn't use the test to manage the patient, they're not going to pay for it. So documenting the chart accordingly uh, meets the nece uh, medical necessity rules, and you will be reimbursed. And not only will you be reimbursed, you probably can be very, very self-assured that you'll survive any future audit. Okay. Now, right. one caveat to all this is the ASDRS algorithm really want you to test all patients pre-surgical, even if they don't have a sign or symptom of disease. And the reason for that is in the ocular surface disease, signs or symptoms often don't correlate well with the disease. So the patient may very well have ocular surface disease and not be exhibiting uh, overt signs or symptoms. So in this case, it may not be a reimbursed test. It may be a screening test. And if that's the case, the doctor has to decide if he's gonna charge the patient for the test or in the case of like a premium IOL, uh, he may want to just bundle the cost of the test into the uh, cost of the IOL. So if I'm understanding you correctly, with the ASDRS algorithm, they there's a sort of a standing order, if you will, for testing of osmolarity, which of course for reimbursement, would patients would not be eligible as they would require a sign or symptom of disease to prompt the test. In the absence of a sign or symptom, even though we acknowledge the, the discordance between those symptoms in our dry patients, it would be a screening test. And then if there were a sign or symptom, that would be a billable lab test. Is that fair to say? That's absolutely correct, yes. Okay, perfect. What, now, when you say, um, you know, we have to have the abnormal versus normal, is it, do you need to be as, as blunt as abnormal versus normal, or can you say hyperosmolar tear identified, or I know it needs to be beyond the numbers, like you can't just have 308 and 341 milliosmoles per liter, there has to be some indication of that. So is it preferred to be normal versus abnormal in your documentation? Well, it's up to the physician how in-depth he wants to go on this. Remember, okay. um, th these will be looked at in, a, in an audit, and, and basically right. it only occurs in an audit. The, it's the, patient, the doctor will have already gotten paid. And remember, the people that are doing these audits probably aren't versed in osmolarity or what the numbers mean. Right. So as long as right. there's some indication that the doctor looked at the number, made a determination if it was no, normal, abnormal, whether it's hyperosmolar or normal, it's fine. Right. As long as there's some indication in the chart that the doctor has evaluated the test results and come to a conclusion based on um, what that number means. Is, does there need to be any acknowledgement of reliability of the test as you're interpreting the, the information that you have in terms of an audit no, perspective? No, no. Okay. No, that's not, that's not required. Um, the, the, 
under the reimbursement rules, it doesn't. It does come up though, as far as being a certified laboratory, we can get into that later, but uh, okay. doing the quality control and making sure you have accurate tests doesn't really get impacted in, in any reimbursement rules. Okay, okay. So can you talk a little bit about the perspective for reimbursement from an optometrist versus an ophthalmologist? Is there any <laughs> distinction between those two? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, first of all, keep in mind both optometrists and ophthalmologists are being performing the test and billing it as a laboratory. So from a reimbursement perspective, they're actually looked at as identical. They're both labs, right? So they're billing right. it as a laboratory. They're getting paid under the laboratory fee schedule and so forth. The biggest difference is what the patient mix looks like. Uh, right. The optometrist obviously will be much more vision-type visits where the ophthalmologist will be much more medical type visits. Now, um, ocular surface disease or dry disease is a medical condition, so it will always fall under the medical insurance, um, and it has to be billed under the medical insurance. And this some, sometimes um, causes some confusion with the optometrist, because right. he may be doing um, the laboratory test during a vision visit, and although you can't do a medical visit and a vision visit on the same day, you can perform a laboratory test and bill for it mm -hmm. on the same day as the vision visit. So if the optometrist has a standard um, symptom questionnaire that he uses to identify patients that have symptoms of dry eye disease and it's positive and he wants to do a laboratory test on the day of that visit, that's fine. He could perform the laboratory test. He then would bill the patient's medical insurance. And what he'll probably do if it comes back positive is reschedule that patient later for another medical visit where it can deal with the dry eye disease. The challenge okay. that comes up with the optometrist, however, is the patient that comes in for a vision visit is actually coming there to get a pair of eyeglasses or, or, or contact lenses and so forth. And if, we, if the doctor performs a laboratory test under his medical insurance, there could be a copay or deductible that the patient isn't experiencing, especially because the patients are often younger those will be commercial insurance rather than Medicare. And most of the commercial insurance plans like Aetna and United Healthcare and so forth do have co-pays and deductible for laboratory tests. So the patient may be impacted by an additional charge he's not experiencing. So that's something that the um, provider needs to be aware of and make sure that the uh, patient is aware of it. However, because we do know that ocular surface disease can impact vision, uh, fluctuating vision and so forth. If the patient's making a significant um, investment in eyeglasses and contact lenses and obviously wants the best prescription they can come with, um, it would be pertinent for them to know if they have ocular surface disease. And if they do, the provider that can then take that in consideration as he's trying to determine what the proper uh, prescription is. The ophthalmologist on... I was going to say ahead. you raise a great point. Uh, I was just going to say you raise a really great point because I think a lot of uh, optometrists might be inclined to maybe try to do what you said, which is bill, bill, do the lab test, bill the medical insurance, anticipating the lab test would be covered by the medical insurance and not, in, not anticipating that additional copay. And in my perspective, and, and I'm sure a lot of us agree with this, as long as the patient knows what's going to happen, you know, we're all on the same page and, and everyone can, can you know, finish things up in a, in a positive manner. But as soon as the patient gets an unexpected bill from, you know, their, their insurance provider, that's when 
you know, there's a disconnect and, and there's a disappointment. And it also tends to frustrate the practitioner when it comes to the equipment and the diagnostic, which is a little bit unfair. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's unfair to both, actually. Right. And it, it even comes a, a little bit more complicated because these types of tests, these these tests on tear fluid have to be done before you put anything else in the eye. So they're usually done before the patient actually sees the doctor. So this conversation right. has to be done with the office staff, uh, usually like it, 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 um, by the technician or at the front desk. When if mm -hmm. the patient is showing symptoms of disease through a questionnaire, um, the technician is going to have to explain to the patient why they're doing the test and prepare them that there may be a um, copay or a deductible. So it does require additional training on the staff and the technician so they're able to, you know, have this conversation with the patient appropriately. So in terms of ophthalmology, were there any points you wanted to add there as well? Oh, yes, yes, thank you. So in ophthalmologists, uh, it's really completely different because the ophthalmologist usually is seeing um, medical problems, and so he's seen in elderly patients um, more often than not. So a larger percent of their patients are under Medicare. And fortunately, um, unlike the commercial payers, CMS, Medicare Part B anyway, pays 100% of all lab tests to the provider. There is no copay or deductible, which makes it, which makes it very, very easy. The patient doesn't have any out-of-pocket expense whatsoever. So the cost of test is paid 100% to the physician, and CMS Medicare actually plays pretty good for our test. It pays $22.48 per eye, and that's in all 50 states. So the ophthalmologist usually has a much easier course of action relative to reimbursement, um, and that's the basic difference between an ophthalmologist and an optometrist. Thanks for listening to Episode 1 of Dry Eye Coach Podcast on Reimbursement. Please be sure to join us for Episode 2 as Mike and I continue our conversation.